definitely human. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Back to Earth, a podcast about roots. I'm Charlie May. This is episode nine. It's spring and I'm in the greenhouse with mum. Today she's teaching me how to plant seeds. Let's see what we've got here. So I'm pulling out something. So we have to check the back of the packet. So carrots can be planted outside, can't they? So we don't need to worry about that yet. No. Oh God, I'm dropping everything. Christ. Um... So what are you going to plant? Let's start with cauliflower. Cauliflower. Okay, so we get a seed tray. And here we go. We've got to put some um, nice compost here, look. This is lovely jubbly. <laughs> put the compost into the tray. Like so. Shake it level. Press it slightly down with your hands just to make it a nice even surface. Open the packet. Hang on, I've got to get the seeds out. Here we go. I'll sprinkle some into the palm <laughs> of my hand. I sprinkle those over the top of the soil. Do they have to be quite far apart? Does it matter if they're touching oh, or whatever? No, you just sprinkle roughly and then you thin them out later on, I suspect. Oh, okay. So these will grow now. And then when they get to proper seedlings, you can put them in a pot. Mm. And then take them outside into Are the garden. Are all the seeds going to sow? We don't want to do the whole pack, do we? we no, might no, I've only taken out a few. I haven't 50 taken out. plants. Yeah, I've only taken out a few. And then we put a bit more soil over the top just to cover it finely. Very thin layer. That's it. Pat it down again. Water it liberally. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Now we just put it on the shelf. Put a label on it with a pencil. That's it. I've written a label. Stick that in the end. Put it on the tray in the window there. Do they all need to have a lid on? Not all of them. Actually, the cauliflower doesn't need a lid. Some of these other ones do, but the cauliflower doesn't. The Brussels sprouts and the cauliflower don't need a lid. They like it cold. Keep it at 13 13 degrees. degrees. But our other ones, cucumbers, aubergines, they like it to be a balmy 20, 25 degrees C. They like it hot. So they've got their own little greenhouse there inside a greenhouse. Greenhouse within a greenhouse. That's it. Job done. Cute. And then, yeah, so we so these stay in here for about two months then. Well, they're going to germinate now in a week's time. You'll suddenly see little green shoots appear. And when they get to a sensible size, we'll prick them out into little pots. In another month's time, you'll see these this staging will be absolutely stuffed full of pots. And we've got our other greenhouse over there we can start putting things in. By then, we'll have you'll have finished turning over the garden <laughs> and preparing it. And then we'll get a nice little row going and we plant them in the garden. We got some cheetah's advice, didn't we, about butternut squash and garlic. So we eat a lot of butternut squash. David and I probably go through one a week at least. 
Um, and so last time I saved the seeds. So we're going to dry those out. Yes, actually, that's a point. I'll go and get my garlic out the kitchen. Yes, and we'll plant let's do that. that. One. Okay, I'll perfect. go and get that a minute. Yes. So the other thing was you can plant garlic bulbs directly into the soil and you don't need to worry about buying seeds or anything. I think having looked at the price of seeds, the seeds can be so expensive. For instance, you know, a tomato plant, it's like a pound for four seeds, but then you could buy a whole tray of tomatoes for a pound and then you could just dry out the seeds yourself and plant them. So I got the wet butternut squash seeds and I've sort of laid them in an old egg carton and they're drying out beautifully. So after a few days or so, all the pulp sort of goes away to nothing. And when they're completely dry, they're ready to be planted. The only disadvantage, I suppose, is that unlike a seed packet that gives you all the information of how to plant, a bit of research needed. But I mean, what else is Google for? Oh, I also stuck some spring onion ends in a pot of soil to see if that did anything because I know you can stick those in water and they continue shooting up but TBC on the soil there here she go. comes with her bulb of garlic I've got, well I've got this because I cooked with it last night and the the what do you call these things the that, clove the no. clove yeah. yes that's a, the whole thing is a bulb yeah um and when I chopped the end off it was already starting to sprout oh, so it's time to cook with these so you've got to take the paper off I'll call it paper what is it a skin well I don't know actually I don't see why you should well I don't think you have to but I think looking at the photos that Auntie Aid sent she had taken it off but had I she know. I think so oh isn't that a lovely smell mm, I love garlic do they each go in an individual tiny pot yes, or are we, yeah? absolutely. So we'll just get um, some of these little pots from under here, put some soil in them. Like that? Yeah, I mean, excellent. Right. So job done. each garlic clove will sprout and what, Grow the clove will become, is it out? On top of the soil or underneath the soil, the bulb? Under the soil. It'll grow a stem mm. with a lovely big pom-pom flower on the top, white one. Oh. And when the flower dies, you dig them up and there's your cloves, the, the whole bulb. Ah, so yeah. one, clove one clove turns into a whole bulb. bulb. Yummy. Yes. Done. So now we have to wait 14 days or a couple of weeks or whatever for them for to the seedlings seed, to yes. appear. Yeah. Remove cover when seedlings appear when five centimetres tall, transplant into a 10 centimetre pot with as little root disturbance as possible. Cute. So now you've shown me how to do the cauliflower, I can get on and do the other ones. Yeah. Aubergine, sweet pepper, cucumber and Brussels sprouts. And we don't need to do potatoes because mum grows how many acres of potatoes? Uh, 40. <laughs> so we're inundated with potatoes when the time comes. So we definitely don't need to be taking up garden space here. All right, I'll get on totally then. good. Yeah. yeah. Time to get to work. Come on. <laughs> What serene, lovely music to represent the passing of time. We're in the future now. I'm in the greenhouse. I'm looking at how all my little seedlings are doing. Now they've grown to about 10 centimetres tall um, and they're ready to be planted out in the garden. I'm so proud of my little seeds. They're looking so good. I'll be posting some pictures on social meds to show you guys the progress and how the garden's looking. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Back to Earth Podcast and on Twitter at Back to Earth Pod. So if you're listening to this and wonder what things look like, I've got you covered. It's not just being self-sufficient that interests and excites me, but also conservation. There are ways we can farm the land that also help protect nature. We have fields and marshier wetlands that are wild meadows in the summer, which are great for insects like dragonflies. But today we're walking through one that's been left to grow over the winter months. 
So this is Rudy Lands. This is, oh wow. So what, this looks so different from all the other fields. It's sort of, <laughs> the gate's fallen off its hinge. Well, this is what we call overwintered stubble. And we took the um, wheat off here at the end of last year. And then it's just allowed to grow like this for um, bird cover. Oh, wow. Yeah, for the winter. So the fields themselves, that's quite windy. So the fields on the farm come in all different shapes and sizes. They're quite higgledy-piggledy. The manor house that was in the front field long, long ago had a lane that ran up from it to join up to other cottages, which are now no longer there. In those days after the war, they did a lot of that, making fields bigger. Well, more profit. Making production easier. You know, hard times we were trying to feed everybody after the war. How was the war? <laughs> hey, cheeky. I'm not that old. <laughs> so... We've got fields set aside for nature conservation, which is great. I love that. But there's even more that we can be doing. New and innovative ways to help local wildlife thrive. What's being good for us humans too? There's actually one animal that could really benefit the way that we live today. And that's the noble beaver. <laughs> so this morning we met with the beaver trust um, and showed them around our land and river spots where we thought beavers could be introduced. Yeah, it was very exciting. We went all along the, we've got various um, tributaries that flow into the main river along the boundary of our farm. And so it was just seeing the uh, man who represents the beavers to see whether we'd got any suitable sites really for the beavers to be allowed to set up home. So he's a farmer in Cornwall who introduced beavers on his land a few years ago and set up the Beaver Trust in 2019. And he's very passionate about sort of the ecosystem and sustainability and the fact that beavers help with flood prevention and they lock up carbon in the woodland and in their dams and things. And I mean, we had here huge floods years ago, didn't we, in the local town that completely destroyed the shops and they've put in flood prevention. But I don't even think that helped. We're still getting flooding each year and, you know, they're building on floodplains and stuff like that anyway. So it's nice to know that there's something that we could do naturally to bring the beavers back in. Um, they were made extinct in this country 400 years ago, did he say? Well, in Cornwall, it was a thousand years ago. And I think it was probably heading towards that, certainly in Devon. But the only place that's got them now is Scotland. Mm. We've just had them introduced in South Devon, down on the River Otter, just outside Exeter. And he's got them in Cornwall. And um, we're looking to set them up all over England but it's quite exciting what they do for the environment because not only do they slow down the river flow and trap carbon, but they also improve the local diversity of wildlife. So they improve the water quality. They help trap pollutants from the waterways. So that makes the waters cleaner and more wildlife and fish is attracted to where they live. So it seems to me a win-win. There's no reason why they couldn't be reintroduced back onto the farm, similar to how we have rabbits. They can be a bit of a pest for a farmer, but you learn to work around them and sort of live in harmony, don't you? Absolutely. I'm very excited about it and I think it could hold huge potential. Did he say they're the second largest mammal? No, rodent. Rodent. Second largest yes. rodent, yes. Yes. Not the mammal, that would be stupid. <laughs> 
Um, it was quite scary to hear him say that we're going through the sixth biggest extinction um, right now and we really should be doing as much as we can to sort of bring back in the animals, especially ones that were native to this country anyway. I think everybody's just got to learn to get on board and to get excited about it and stop being so selfish. Yeah. That's my, in a nutshell, feelings. I mean, that's our fear is that we're all for it on our land. But then there's always, you know, I think we're very big on countryside stewardship and things that help the ecosystem. But there's always people that are just going to be in it for the money and are just going to care about their profit margin. If everybody were in agreement, we could have beavers that would then run freely through all the waterways. What they're saying now is that to stop beavers getting onto ground that belongs to a family that don't want beavers on their land means we've got to put up fences. And it would be really nice if we could do it without the fencing, just have it open for everybody. And then the beavers would do their work and it wouldn't cost the country anything and win-win. <laughs> we could do a tourist attraction on the farm where we had little yeah. beaver hats with little teeth in the front <laughs> and tails down our backs. Beaver tours, although he did say they were nocturnal, didn't he? So I don't know, would we be doing night well, tours? Evidently you can. There are places where you can go and see beavers in the daytime. It could be a tourist attraction. Yeah, We could put them in a little shop with all these beaver t-shirts and beaver on the end of a pencil. <laughs> Oh my God. We've got a friend who's obsessed with beavers, Eleanor. Shout out to Eleanor. So yeah, she would definitely be number one fan to come to the beaver attraction. Yeah. (laughs) So there we go. Beaver Watch. Um, This is just the initial discussion. We really hope that everybody gets on board um, and that we can get beavers on our land. But it's something that I never expected, um, you know, especially having just moved down here to be having these kind of very exciting conversations. I think it was nice to show them this morning, the two ponds that we've got, which dad made didn't he and he put in they got very excited and thought that it would be absolutely perfect because the little streams feeding the ponds are just what the beavers like and one of the ponds in particular is great because i own the fields on either side of it and so there isn't any need to involve anybody else and the woods in the middle and the woods in the middle so that would work brilliantly i'm expecting to uh, be contacted anytime now to say yes let's get going delivery of our beavers (laughs) just some horses galloping by not galloping trotting not trotting walking yeah (laughs) just walking slowly by (laughs) i guess i was just thinking galloping evokes more of a mood but then you can hear the (laughs) you can hear the hooves so david and i are on a little country walk and a little quaint village called Henton. Henton dates all the way back to the Doomsday Book. And I guess it used to be a huge manor estate. Now the manor house is a pub. A pretty epic pub, isn't it? It looks like a castle. Just going up a little winding road and there's a little thatched cottage and red bricks and sort of tiny little glass square windows. In the distance you can see um, the beach We've just stumbled across a red telephone box that's been transformed into a library. I think, is it BT is selling phone boxes at the moment for a pound or something to local villages? Yeah, because they want people to transform them because they've just been sort of left to go to ruin. And so now they're leaving it, you know, with mobile phones, etc. obviously. Nobody's using pay phones, really. And so they want local communities and things to look after them and turn them into things like libraries how amazing is this oh it smells musty (laughs) smells just like a library 
the A to C guide of the law. <laughs> There's some real tombs in here. Oh, they've got DVDs. Wow. Oh, look, somebody's even painted the ceiling. Bassett, Williams, Puncherdon, and Beaumont. What is that, like a family crest? Looks like it, yeah. Oh, look, Lords of the Manor ceiling. Hold the door. The ceiling above has been painted to commemorate the four families who have been lords of the manor of Henton Puncherdon since the Norman Conquest. Puncherdon is named after Sir Robert de Pontchardon, a Norman knight who fought at Hastings and was rewarded with the estate, recorded in the Doomsday Book of 1083. How cute is that? Yeah. Walk down here, another little side street. Shut the gate, the penalty is 40 shillings for leaving this gate unlocked. <laughs> So how are you feeling about being in Devon so far? It's been a few months now, we're settled in. I'm uh, enjoying seeing how excited you are about everything. <laughs> <laughs> you, your only joy is the secondhand excitement for me. I mean, I've hardly really seen you except for, you know, in the evenings and stuff when we walk to and from work. I've just been in the garden like every day pretty much. Yeah, that's definitely one of the pluses. <laughs> we have spent the entire year together in a tiny cramped London apartment. Yeah, I think you were like so miserable in London over lockdown, whereas now you're like completely transformed. You're so happy all the time. It's unbearable, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's nice. <laughs> I like seeing it. How are you feeling? Like I don't know, really. Like, I mean, we literally just left the house and you said, oh, I think I've got a headache. <laughs> I think you're allergic to nature. <laughs> you don't need to expose me like this. <laughs> I d yeah, I don't know. I don't really feel anything about it, to be honest. I mean, it's kind of difficult, isn't it? Because... You know, as we all know, it's like a year later, you know, it's been, a, it's been a year of the pandemic. And so, you know, it's not really a normal life anyway. If we were in London, we'd be miserable here. It's like, you know, we actually have the freedom to do things and walk around. And, you know, I no longer feel kind of anxious. Like I had so much sort of weight on my sort of chest in London. I was so, you know, I'm not an anxious person, but I just feel like I was anxious all the time. Um, and I really felt trapped and I hated it. Whereas now I feel completely different. I feel really relaxed gardening and sort of growing vegetables and I don't know just being outside I guess because I haven't been outside in so long yeah I don't feel any different from how I felt in London really but I wasn't particularly anxious in London no but you've been stressed for years <laughs> for years <laughs> you have <laughs> yeah I feel like it's much more of a dramatic kind of journey for you going from like London to here and your mental state has changed like so dramatically you are getting a lot out of seeing people and being around people and all of that kind of stuff like our walks to work saying good morning to everyone morning, yeah morning. yeah I never thought I would be that person but actually I fully lean into it now and I'm the one that says hi first um it's quite nice I suppose I'm definitely a person that feeds off other people and social interactions and I get my energy from other people like a succubus but <laughs> i'm not sure if that's the word <laughs> like an emotional vampire uh yeah, yes, yeah you're, you're <laughs> okay. right yeah i'm an emotional vampire um wait hang on there's, or a, are you... there's a dog behind you <gasps> oh my god he looks like such a good boy <laughs> hello <laughs> oh my god he's bounding up to us you're so cute hi, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what is he, a little Springer Spaniel? Spaniel yeah. Oh, you're so cute. And just as we said we wanted a dog, the Lord wow. gave unto us. <laughs> What's his name? Archie. Archie. 
Hello. Hi, Archie. <laughs> oh, he listens to commands, don't you? Sit. Not to me. <laughs> he doesn't do anything for me. Good boy. Good boy. Bye, Archie. <laughs> wow, I sound like I'm a bit drunk on dog there. Oh, I want a dog so bad. I wonder if I can sneak one into the house without David noticing. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Back to Earth Podcast and on Twitter at Back to Earth Pod. Music is by John Day. Artwork is by Eric Chow. And this episode was edited by David Knight. Thank you, guys. We couldn't do it without you. All you guys, thank you for listening. And if you're supporting us on Patreon, stay tuned for our after show series, Hashtag Farm Life. This week, we'll be talking about conservation. What other giant rodents can I introduce to the farm? Find out more at patreon.com forward slash definitelyhuman. Back to Earth is a definitely human production. Okay, bye!